0: Last week, we studied a beautiful, hopeful passage of scripture that lifted our hearts. Although this week's passage is much more sobering, I think it's significant that the book begins with such hope. It shows us God's heart of love toward Hannah and toward his people. As we continue our study today, we'll see God's love and mercy set against the backdrop of sin and judgment. And we'll see again how God's plans for his people are accomplished through the lives of those he chooses. Before we begin looking at the particulars of this passage, let me set out a framework for looking at it. The passage contrasts the household of Eli with the household of Akana, The sons of Eli with Samuel and God's intervention is once again seen as it was when Samuel was conceived. After a long period of time, God has entered into the history of his people for their good and his glory. The passage begins with a description of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and ends with a description of God's call to Samuel. The pictures of the corruption of worship are punctuated with notes of hope. The first section introduces Eli's sons, chapter two, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The NIV translates this using the descriptors, wicked men, and they had no regard for the Lord. Let's just stop and reflect on this for a moment. Eli was a judge in Israel. Chapter 4 tells us that he led Israel for 40 years. So Hophni and Phinehas grew up surrounded by the worship of Yahweh. And presumably, they had received tasks at Shiloh at young ages, much as Samuel would be given. Now they were adults. They had every opportunity to understand the law of God and to be faithful to the worship of God. Yet the scripture says... They did not know the Lord. How tragic. Many of us, myself included, have adult children who have been raised in the Christian community, have been taught the scriptures, and yet do not know the Lord. It is a great grief to us as parents. Yet this situation is more grievous since Hophni and Phineas are serving as priests, and thus leaders of worship at Shiloh this leadership would not promote the honor of the Lord or the good of the faith community. As Robert Bergen points out in his commentary, the priestly actions were causing the worshipers to look disrespectfully upon the freewill offerings made to the Lord. The abuse of their position was giving religion a bad name in Israel. It is also tragic in our time when abuse or sinful behavior of our Christian leaders comes to light, causing discouragement among believers and causing unbelievers to mock the gospel. The passage goes on to describe the behavior that caused Eli's sons to be judged as worthless men who did not know the Lord. Worshippers came to Shiloh, a worship center where the Ark of the Covenant was housed they came with sacrifices to worship the Lord, as Elkanah had done in chapter 1. There were very specific laws regarding how the sacrifices were to be made that we find in Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7. These sections describe the fellowship or peace offering. The situation described in First Samuel two twelve to 17 was very different from the one laid out in Leviticus. Now the priests would plunge their fork into the pot and take whatever meat it brought up, not just the portion specified in the law. They did not wait for the Lord's fat portion to be burned. Instead, they insisted on having their portion of the meat beforehand, threatening to take it by force if necessary. Sometimes worshipers, even those who gave in to the priest's demands for a larger portion of the sacrifice, tried to persuade the corrupt priests to at least give the Lord his portion first. In this way, Hophni and Finnegus that treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, in particular because they failed to honor him with the fat portion. As Mary Evans points out, service to God was not their motivation, but what they could get for themselves. They were greedy men. In addition, As we read later, Hophni and Phinehas were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. How sad that the leaders of God's people were behaving in a manner that showed contempt for the Lord and his offerings, and seemingly were getting away with it. But as we will see, the Lord is not overlooking their sinful behavior. It is just not quite time for judgment yet. As discouraging as this section is when considering the worship of the people of God, the next section brings hope. Here the sins of Hophni and Phinehas are contrasted with the faithfulness of young Samuel and the blessing of God on his family. Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy. He was under the tutelage of Eli. He wore the priestly garment, an ephod, and a robe that his mother made for him each year as he was growing. Robert Bergen points out that this sleeveless, hip-length garment could only be worn by members of the Levitical tribe, which implies that Samuel was a member of this tribe. When Hannah Elkanah Al- came to worship, Eli blessed them and asked the Lord to give them children in place of Samuel, who had been given to the Lord The Lord was continuing to use Eli in the lives of this godly family. The Lord was gracious and gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. God honored their faithfulness in giving them more than they had given to him, which is, of course, just like the Lord. Now Samuel is described as a boy who grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 21. Samuel's growth suggests to me a picture of a dark room that is being gradually illuminated by a light on a dimmer switch. Much as a dimmer switch is turned, causing the light to grow brighter, so Samuel's life shines brighter and brighter against the backdrop of the darkness being promoted by Eli's sons. Back to Eli's sons and his response to them. Verse 22. Now, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Hebrews 3.12 gives this warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Eli recognizes that his son's sinful behavior is very serious. He rebukes his sons, but they don't listen. Why? Robert Bergen suggests that since this is the first recorded rebuke from Eli, that he may have neglected his parental disciplinary responsibilities earlier in their lives, perhaps. Mary Evans indicates that perhaps Eli no longer had any control over them because he was so old. In any case, he did not take any action as a father, Or as leader in Shiloh, when he could have removed his sons from their posts. Perhaps he was concerned for how they or their families would survive without the provision of their positions. And perhaps he was soft-hearted toward them. But now the situation has become irreversible because God has made a determination to carry out judgment. As Davis points out, Hophni and Phineas' resistance was the result of God's judgment. They were so persistent in their rebellion that the Lord decided to put them to death. They were so hardened by their continuous sin that they were incapable of repentance. Eventually, God gave them up to their sinful behavior, as Paul describes in Romans 1, and to utter destruction. This is a serious warning to those like Hophni and Phinehas who have enjoyed the blessings of the people of God, but who persist in their sinful conduct and dishonor the Lord. The description of young Samuel in verse 26 provides a hopeful contrast to the corruption of Eli's sons as he continues to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. This statement is very similar to the one made about Jesus in Luke two fifty two, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. God is raising up a faithful servant who will provide relief from the abuses of current religious life and who will be faithful in his love and service. This foreshadows Jesus, who is the ultimate faithful servant to come. The current wickedness and corruption in the house of God will not continue. To further explain the judgment of God that will come upon Eli's family, the chapter finishes with an unknown man of God who pronounces judgment, not just on Eli's sons, but upon the whole family of Eli. Judgment is pronounced upon Eli, not because he is responsible for his son's sin, but because he participated in it. How does he participate? In verse 29, We read this. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Eli kept his sons in their positions and he participated in eating the choicest parts of the offering that were supposed to be given to the Lord. Later in chapter four, we find That Eli was described as being heavy, likely by eating these fat portions of the offerings. Eli's family was a branch of Aaron's line, chosen permanently to be priests in Israel. However, as Joyce Baldwin points out, this appointment was conditional upon the ongoing faithfulness of the family members. The corruption in Eli's house was apparent to all members of the community, and judgment would be as well. God promises that Eli's strength and the strength of his father's house would be cut off so that there would not be an old man in his line. There would be prosperity, but it would not be enjoyed by Eli's family. The prophecy also makes reference to one who will not be removed from serving, but will be left to grieve, and that all the descendants of his house would die by the sword. Hophni and Phinehas would also die on the same day. This seems to us to be very harsh, but God, in his mercy, was seeking to preserve the worship of his people and the honor of his name. In addition, in verse 35, God promises to raise up a priest who will serve faithfully. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Davis states, that this was not a reference to Samuel, who was a prophet, but a reference to Zadok and his priestly line, appointed as sole high priest by Solomon in place of Abiathar, who was the only remaining descendant of Eli at that time. Those left in Eli's family would be reduced to poverty because of the loss of their positions. Ultimately, this prophecy of the faithful priest looks forward to our great high priest, Jesus, who fulfills this role perfectly. Finally, we see Samuel growing and being prepared by Eli to take up leadership among the people of God. He is already well regarded, as we have seen, but does not yet have this role. The section begins with a statement that we have seen several times in the passage. Verse 1. Now the young man, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord under Eli. Samuel was working under under the direction of Eli and was clearly submissive to his leadership. In spite of Eli's parenting failures, God used him to train Samuel in priestly ministry and in hearing God's voice. Eli also knew that Samuel would replace him and his sons in leadership, and he was submitting to the Lord in this as we will see later in the passage. The text notes that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. This would have been at the end of the period of the judges when we know that life and worship had degenerated in Israel. But God was about to change this. Chapter 3 begins with the Lord's calling of Samuel. The scene is the early morning before the lamp of God had gone out. Samuel was sleeping in the temple where the ark of God was. For Eli's eyesight was failing. It was quiet before the business of the day had begun. This was the time God chose to speak to Samuel. The Lord called to Samuel in an audible voice three times, but Samuel did not know it was the Lord because as verse seven says, He did not yet know the Lord, not in the same sense as Eli's sons in their rebellion, but in the sense that he had had no personal experience of the Lord or calling from him. Instead, thinking Eli had called him, Samuel got up three times to minister to Eli. It is to Samuel's credit that he is so attentive to Eli's needs and respectful of him. Finally, Eli realized that it was the Lord who had called Samuel, and he instructed Samuel on how to respond. This is exactly what Samuel did, obeying Eli's direction. When the Lord called again, he not only spoke, but he came and stood. So Samuel not only heard the voice of the Lord, but saw a vision of him. The Lord told Samuel that he was about to carry out the judgment against Eli's household because of his son's blasphemous behavior and Eli's failure to restrain them. What a difficult first message to receive from the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli of this vision and message, as we can imagine, since it is never easy to deliver bad news, especially since Eli was in a position of leadership. Samuel must have wondered about how Eli would receive it. But Eli pressed him for the message and Samuel told him everything. Eli then recognized the authority of the Lord and submitted to his will. The final section of the passage tells of Samuel's continued growth as a person of character and a spokesman for the Lord. He was recognized as a true prophet because the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. All of them were fulfilled. The Lord continued to to appear to Samuel at Shiloh. How the faithful in Israel must have rejoiced to see the Lord raise up the prophet Samuel, who was godly in character and could speak words from the Lord. God was working to bring godly leadership to his people through Samuel and then later through the kingship. As I have reflected on God's character, as seen in this section, his holiness and his love, my eyes have been drawn to the cross. Here we see God's wrath against sin and his love for sinners most clearly. Romans 5, 8 to 9 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath to come. My thoughts have also turned to my children and grandchildren who don't yet know the Lord. I long for each of them to come to faith in Jesus and live for him. I have hope for them because Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. God's heart is to bring those who are lost into relationship with himself. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son in Luke 15 illustrate his heart of love for sinners. So I am encouraged to pray that God will soften their hearts and draw them to himself and that they would experience joy in walking with Jesus. As I have been preparing this talk, my college-age grandson has moved into my home. He has been exposed to the gospel at New Life from a young age, yet he still struggles to understand that what the Bible says is true. Please pray with me during this season that I will model well a life of faith before him, that I will pray for him, and that he will be drawn to the God we serve. I trust that God is at work in his heart. I know that God is faithful. He will accomplish his work for the good of his people and for his glory. I'll close with these verses from Psalm 103, 17 and 18. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the warnings that are there, but also and most importantly, for the love that you show us um, through the pages of scripture that you have toward us as sinners. Father, we thank you for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and for your care and concern for each of us. We pray that as we go to our groups, you would enable us to continue discussing these themes. In Jesus' name, amen.